Right, good morning. It is a blessing for me to come and bring you the message of the forgiveness of sins as what it was planned by God, what God had in mind when it comes to the forgiveness of sins, God setting us free, God giving us life. Now, I'm going to start off by just reading from John chapter 1 and um, verse 29. This is such a powerful, powerful passage in the in the scriptures, and uh, it is something that I think many people struggle to understand. So many times we define forgiveness of sins as God just not looking at our sins or not counting our sins against us for some reason, th- reasoning from a, a legalistic law perspective. But here we find uh, more or less what when it comes to the baptism of John, what the taking away of sin really is all about. It says there in John one twenty nine, the next day John saw Jesus coming unto him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man that is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, I mean, there's so much packed into those verses. And if we can start to grab a hold of that, we will experience a freedom that is from God. God has come to take away the sin of the world. Now, just for a start, uh, John is writing this uh, a long time after the resurrection of Jesus. We need to understand that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is not Old Testament passages. I used to preach it like that, but it is it is so far from the truth. It is not Old Testament passages. It is New Testament passages because it was written long after the resurrection. And it is the gospel of Matthew. It is the gospel of Mark. It's the gospel. It's the good news being preached by these apostles in their writings wherein they took what Jesus did put it together in a way wherein they were explaining the gospel, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God that has come to the earth. Now, I do believe that, uh, and it is true, that many of the things that did take place were still, and that was recorded, was done under the Old Testament understanding of things. Uh, Things that Jesus did as pertaining to sacrifices and all those kind of things and traditions and the Jews and the Gentiles and so forth. But we find here that John, when he was writing this, he was trying to tell people that the Messiah is the Messiah of all people, not just the Jews. That That's why he was saying the next day John saw Jesus coming unto him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's saying that John the Baptist was already preaching the gospel that Jesus is not just the Messiah for the Jews, but that he was the Messiah for all people and that he would take away the sin of all people. Now, just for a start, it's very, it's, it's wonderful to think of Jesus as the one that takes away our sins. That means it's not for you to get rid of your sin. It is to go to a place where sin or to some someone who takes away your sin. It takes away the burden. It takes away the sin itself. It takes away the transgression. It takes away the bondage. It takes away everything. And here he says, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The taking away of the sin of the world would mean two things, and we're going to look at that. The cleansing of the temple as well as the 
carrying away of sin so that people could be free from sin. When Jesus takes away sin, it is not a potential taking away and just an experiential uh, or, or an experience of not feeling guilty. If you want to see how it looks when a person's sin has been completely taken away, you should compare Jesus uh, on the cross where he wherein he was basically bearing all the sin of people you should look at him in death in the grave that would be the ultimate example compare him in the grave where he has died to the glorified Jesus that is seated at the right hand of the father never to die that is how forgiveness of sin look that is how deliverance of weakness look our sin, if you read Romans 5 from verse 9, also talks about our weakness and our inability to keep to the law or to live forever. It talks about our mortality. The forgiveness of sins is basically God delivering man from all his weakness, all of his, the, the terror that is inside man, all of man's mortality, and lining man up with the fullness of God bodily. Forgiveness of sin would be to bring forth in man everything that God has dreamt for man from before the world began, uh, after that man fell into something that would be contrary to what God has dreamt. So, uh, forgiveness of sins has got much more to do with the uh, with with bringing eternal life than what it's got to do with not being guilty before God or you've done something wrong or God uh, is angry with you or just having a very shallow explanation of sin which is defined by law. Uh, we have to look at what God has done for us and so find life in what he's done for us. Now, I would just uh, quickly just want to touch on, I'm going to get more into this, but I just feel this is just coming up in my mind uh, all the time. And this is from Second Timothy talking about, um, excuse me, First Timothy chapter 2. And I did speak about this earlier today, but I want to just get this off my mind. It's just jumping into my mind all the time. And I want to uh, encourage you with this. Um, before we get more into the message. Earlier this week, or two days, I think it was yesterday or day before, I preached on a prayer and a praying for people and governments and those kind of things and what that brings to us. And so many times we think that uh, when we pray, this is off the topic, but I will work it in here. It's a bit off the topic, but so many times we think that when we pray for people or pray about a situation, that our peace is on the other side of the answered prayer. And we look at Timothy here, and what is happening is that um, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says to them, Timothy, my son, um, I'm giving you this commandment in keeping with prophecies once made about you. So he says, I want you to keep in the gospel. I want you to keep in the good news. And then he says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. See, the forgiveness of sins is for all people. And now he's drawing on that and he's saying, listen, I want you to pray for all people. 
for kings and for those in authority that that we may live a peaceful and quiet life in godliness and holiness. This is good and pleasant and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I just want to say this to you. We in this world go through very difficult times and um, I see Jordan Peterson the other time said, uh, there was just this pop-up that came up on Facebook that he said something beautifully. He said, so many times we follow after an illusion when we look at someone else's happiness and we think if we can just have what he has then we will be happy it is just an illusion people go through very very difficult times if they are rich or if they are poor there are people that suffer that go through difficult times we all live in a world with politicians that are corrupt we live in a world where people lie we live in a world where people cannot keep to their word it's like i said in the introduction where we find the earth uh, giving in under the weight of the world, uh, 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 giving in under the weight of what they need to bring forth in order for man to be happy and joyful. The world cannot do that. The systems of the world cannot do that. And now it says here, pray for those that are in power. It says, so that you may live a peaceable life. And now it is thought that should we pray for these people and these situations change, then we can have a peaceable life. But I want to say this to you. We don't have peace on the other side of answered prayer as pertaining to politicians and leaders and those kind of things. What, it, what was taking place here, Paul was simply telling Timothy, uh, don't rise up in a resistance group against the government of the day. Rather just pray for them so that you can have peace. Because if you rise up as a resistance group against the government, you're going to find that you don't have peace. All of a sudden, uh, the church is going to be uh, in the scope, you know, and they're going to put focus on the church and want to destroy the church and all those kind of things because the church is seen as a resistance group. Uh, we also need to understand that the, the government doesn't bear the sword for no reason. The government bears the sword to punish the evildoer. And the evildoer is not defined by government uh, according to Bible principles. Principles. The evildoer is defined by government according to what they think is against them. So uh, I'm not saying that we should not have a voice or anything like that. Let us vote, let us have a voice. But let us not live in the shallowness of thinking that on the other side of answered prayer is where we're going to have peace. We have peace right now. We have peace by the resurrected Christ. We don't need for laws to change in order to have peace. We don't need for lead, different leaders to come into power in order to have peace. We don't have to have uh, 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 vaccine laws and stuff changed in order for us to have peace right now. We have the hope of eternal life and we live in a world that we know does not bear the fullness of eternal life yet we groan as in um, having birth pains knowing that the birth of the new life is on its way and we have that hope of that brand new life in Christ and nothing else can satisfy us. Nothing else can give us peace. Nothing else can give us true hope. The only hope we have is the hope in the resurrected Jesus Christ. So when we 
pray for people. What we do is the moment we pray for people that are against us or people that oppress us, what we are actually saying in our hearts and what happens in our heart is we say this. The same one that died for us also died for them. The same one that was raised from the dead for us was also raised for them. They are not our enemies. They are as ignorant as what we were. They are at the same place where they are in need of salvation as what we we were. And we are not taking vengeance. We are not taking up arms. We are not fighting like people that have no hope. We are resting in the love of God. As the forgiveness of sins is the only answer to all people and to the world. You know, the only answer to the world's problems, and I'm getting back into the message, is the forgiveness of sins. If we define sin as not sharing in the life of God, and we look at our world, and we look at the problems that we have in our world, how, what would be the, the answer? The answer would be, to let the world share in the life of God. If somebody hates you, why does he hate you? He hates you because he's not sharing in the life of God. And what would, what would change your life and his life? is if they start to share in the love of God and the life of God. What would that mean? What would that result into? It would result into a life where there's no more hatred but love. And the only way wherein that can take place, according to the Bible and according to God's view, is for man to be recreated, for man's body to be formed and shaped into an eternal, ever-living body that does not lack any life. That is what it means. And church, it might sound complicated, but you know I've been preaching about this for many years now. But as we look at this and we just apply it into everyday life, we can see that uh, what, what the world needs is deliverance from mortality. What the world needs is deliverance from corruption. Corruption means you, corrupting in and being part of decay having eternal life, having the spirit of eternal life. That's the only answer to every problem in the world. One might say, but that is not going to be quickly. Well, you know, I said to Helena last night, we were reading, I was reading in, in the Old Testament, and then I was reading about the slavery that the Jews were in. They were in slavery to the Egyptians for 400 years. Then you look at the Assyrian Assyrian rule, how long they were ruling. I think it was 700 years. Babylonian captivity, 70 years. We look at the time from uh, the first writings that we have of the Bible until now, until, until Jesus, talk about 4,000 years. Uh, we t I mean, how long would it have been from Adam to, uh, to Abraham? I mean, it's very, very long time. And then you would have 400-year gaps in between. And then you find Jesus died and he rose again. And then you find 2,000 years uh, passing. So it seems to me as if the God that lives in eternity, that has eternal life, that his concept of what time is and how it works is a bit different to what ours is. And that just means that if I look at everything that took so long in the Old Testament, it gives me a lot of hope now.
maybe things don't is not going to change in the next five minutes or in the or even in my lifetime but it doesn't mean that what god has done is not true and right and that he is faithful and that what he has promised will take place this what i'm about to say might not sound like very good news but it will help you a lot the bible says in hebrews chapter 11 that all those people in the old testament died in faith without receiving the promise and they are mentioned as heroes of faith and examples for us to continue to believe unto whom the promises of god has now come so i want to say to you don't give up hope when you think things don't change right now the way wherein things change the way wherein god forgives sins the way wherein god changes things is by bringing forth a new creation a new creation a new creation literally means what it says it is a creation that is recreated or newly created I mean, how long do you think does it take to, to create the heavens and the earth? I mean, there's so many arguments on how long it took to, to have this earth as it is now. But God is bringing forth a new creation of which we have already partaken in. We are newly created. We are created from the immortal, eternal God. And that is why we have holy works and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So my message to you is, that when John came and he said that behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it did not have anything to do with an emotion in the heart of God wherein God is not going to be angry anymore. It's got something that's much greater, something that's much bigger than that. It has got to do with a brand new creation, a brand new creation. And the question would be, can Jesus Christ can God bring forth a new creation? Can He take the creation that there is, that is weak, that is subject to decay, that is subject to uh, mortality, that is subject to all the things that we see in the world? Can He take a person that is fully emerged into the weaknesses of this world and then from that person bring forth a new creation without losing the person that is the question that is the question when we look at the world today and we look at politicians making promises and all those kind of things there's one thing that you can be sure of you can be 100 percent sure that they lie that they cannot produce it. Not because their motives aren't pure, not because, because many of them, the motive can be pure. They can truly want to bring forth life. Uh, they can truly want to bring forth what is righteous and good. And to a certain extent, we will see some life there. But I want to tell you, none of them possess the ability to live forever and bring anything into eternal life. It will always be as what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Let me read it there. It says, For the law is only a shadow of the good things to come, not the realities of themselves. For this reason it can never, by those same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. We see the Old Testament law cannot make anything perfect. How much more will any law of a country 
the, the legislation and a politician and a police force that says we're going to enforce this, we're going to bring this, how, how much less would that ever make anything perfect or bring anything to any form of quality of life? It is impossible. The only thing that is needed and that can truly help is the recreation of humans and of nature into something that cannot decay and can never die. That is what it's all about. And that is why John could say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John's concept and Jesus' concept and God's concept of taking away the sin of the world would be to take away all forms of death, all, all forms of mortality, all forms of corruption, and infuse the fullness of God into human flesh. So the question is, is the answer to the world's problems available? Is it there? Can God bring it forth? Could he bring forth a man that is in the fullness of man, the fullness of the sinfulness of man, or let me put it this way, the weakness of man? Then let him enter into the fullness of death and then raise him from the dead to inside that mortal body uh, or to have that mortal body raised up recreated never to die and then so preserve the person forever would that be possible and if it could be what a wonderful day it would be because we would find that life has entered our realm and how beautiful would it then be if this person that has conquered death and conquered sin in the flesh would then become the Lord and the ruler with a mandate to bring forth who and what he is in everyone. That would be the forgiveness of sins. So the forgiveness of sins, sins is not something that you just repent from and then it's over. No. We can repent of our wrong beliefs, but we are saved from our sins. Is it a sin to believe a wrong thing? Yes. Uh, how, how do we get it right to repent from our wrong beliefs? We first need a truth. We need a, a reality. We need a resurrection. And then from that resurrection, we can believe unto the truth and have a brand new life. Okay, I want to go to, um, let's go to Hebrews 4. Spoke about this as well in the last few weeks. Talking about a high priest, the high priest that God has to give. And the high priest that there was in the Old Testament was always a high priest that was weak. He had to sacrifice for his own sins. He had to be as the people. And now Jesus didn't have his own sins, but he took upon him our weakness so that he could have compassion with us and that when he would be raised from the dead, he would be raised out of our weaknesses into a life that has got no weakness so that he could aid those that are weak and bring them to a life where there is no weakness. So the forgiveness of sins again here is to be delivered from not sharing in, not partaking in the life of God. Uh, sin means not to hit the mark, to miss the mark, to miss the goal, not to share in. 
Forgiveness of sins would mean to be delivered from not sharing in the life of God. So the only way you can ever be forgiven of sin is by God sharing His fullness of His life with you so that you can share in what He has. Now let us read uh, Hebrews 4 verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. That empathize with our weakness means he knows what it feels like to have that weakness. But to have true empathy also here is, he talks about having the ability to deliver you from that, set you free from that. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace or throne of empowerment with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So what he's basically saying here is that the forgiveness of sins, when we come to the throne of grace, when we experience the forgiveness of sins, is where we are beholding the resurrected Jesus Christ. We're beholding his his body, who he is, where the fullness of the Godhead is in him bodily. We behold that as our destination and, uh, and his vision for our lives. And we come boldly to him. He knows how to aid us and bring us unto that life. And he says, let us keep to the confession of our faith that we have the hope of the resurrection. And that is what he will bring to us. Now, it might sound like a very theological message that is all about uh, concepts and all about ideas and meditations and closing your eyes to what's going on in real life. Uh, but I want to tell you that is not what it is. It is opening your eyes to what is real, opening your eyes to what is true. I want to tell you that um, the resurrected Jesus, where he is today, in his physical body today, is more real and more eternal than what your body is. The, the fact that Jesus lives today, his life, the life he possessed today, is more eternal, more, I, I mean it's even wrong to even use those words that way, but let me use it that way, is more eternal and more real than what any problem today could be. Because any problem today is temporal. Do you know that the reality that Jesus was raised from the dead and the hope of eternal life through him is more real than the problems North Korea has? It's more real than the problems South Africa have. It's more real and more robust and more eternal than what COVID could ever bring or what any politician politician could bring to the world it's more real than any corruption in the world it's more eternal corruption will pass away but Jesus will never pass away lies is not eternal do you know that a lie is not something that's eternal it's temporal the truth is eternal the love of God is eternal 
And that is what he has given and expressed towards us. And as we believe upon that, we share in that eternal life. So the life that's inside you, the joy that God has brought inside you, is more eternal than the negative thing that comes your way, that which threatens your life. Nothing can actually threaten your life, for your life is sealed up with him. Let us read uh, just verse 16 here again. Let us then approach God's throne, the place from where he rules by his grace. The grace is the power wherewith he brings who he is into manifestation in your life. Grace is the power to change and we are in the dispensation of grace wherein he brings forth, not where we bring forth. We're not in a place where we pray through to get God to do something. I want to tell you that the change of government and the change of this world does not rest on the church's ability to be an intercessor. I also want to tell you now, last night I was thinking of this. I was thinking of uh, uh, myself, thinking as, as the church, thinking of my involvement in the world and what we, we bring in the world. We're thinking of drilling wells in Zambia um, at the moment and our outreach to Zambia and all those kind of things. And uh, you get this feeling inside you. It was just, I would say, a temptation that came to my mind and thinking, man, let us preach as accurately as possible, as good as possible. Let us love with open hearts because uh, these people, this will affect the people to have uh, a, a good idea on who Jesus is so that they can accept the Lord. And, uh, you know, I was thinking of the fruit of the Spirit in my life and the effect that the fruit of the Spirit will have on other people's lives. Now, I do believe that the fruit of the Spirit will have an effect on other people's lives. But what came to my mind is this. I am not the tree of life. And the fruit of the Spirit in my life is not the bread of life. There's a difference between the bread of life and the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I can bear fruit like Jesus. And this is the example that came up to my mind. Jesus was in John chapter 6 taking bread and he was multiplying it. And as he was multiplying the bread, people came and they ate of the bread and they were very happy. And then he went to the other side of the lake and then some people realized, Yo, you know, they're getting bread for free. And then they ran to Jesus again, got into a ship uh, or in a little boat, went to the other side and said to Jesus, Where are you? And then Jesus said to them, you are not here because you are, you are here because you ate of the bread. But you are not here for the bread of life. I want you to eat of the bread of life. And what Jesus was basically saying is, is that the gifts of the Spirit in his life, the gift to do a miracle, the fruit of the Spirit in his life, his kindness, his goodness, and all those kind of things could not save them. They needed to believe in God the Father who raises the dead. They had to believe in the eternal life that would come by Jesus. But the fruit of the Spirit could never be the food for them. That would mean, and calculate or, 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 or uh, account to, uh, the fruit of the Spirit in my life, how I love somebody, can never be the source of salvation for somebody else. He needs to get to Jesus himself. So our prayer life, how we live towards others, will be good and it will put, it will let people be at a place where they thank God the Father for what the Father brought forth in us. But they will not thank God for us. 
They would say, thank God. That this is what the Bible says. Let your light so shine before men that they would give praise to the Father. So we cannot, and I've seen it so many times, we live with this burden as Christians. If we can just be better Christians, the world's going to change. No, that's not true. That is not true. As people believe in Jesus, and as Jesus fulfills his promise, as the Father fulfills the promise that he has towards man, and it will happen in a certain way, and it will happen also in the last day, we will find true change take place. We will find the fruit of the Spirit. But I want to tell you, the fruit of the Spirit has never been ordained by God for the nations to live by and the world to have peace by. The world cannot have peace by the fruit of the Spirit in the church. The world has peace by believing upon Jesus and receiving the birth that is from above. That's how it works. No other way. And church, don't let anybody put a burden on you to uh, save the world by your holy works. Don't let that ever be there. Don't let any politician, don't let any person, don't let the enemy, don't do it upon your, do, do it towards yourself. Ever think that on the other side of your good fruit is salvation for other people. No, I don't believe that God is going to base all of salvation uh, of the world on the good fruit that you bear. Will we bear good fruit? Yes. Do we want good fruit? Yes. Why? It's part of our life. It's part of our heritage. And what we inherit as Christians is part of what God has come to bring forth in Christ. It is our destination. We can, it cannot change but let me tell you, the fruit of the Spirit in your life is not the Savior of people. Take that burden off your back. How effective you pray cannot change a nation. Never again in your life, when you see things don't go the way it's supposed to go, put lay, lay the charge to the church and say it's the church that has done the No, the Holy Spirit speaks to every person. The Holy Spirit speaks to the president. The Holy Spirit speaks to everybody. The Bible says that in, in those days, nobody will say, you know, uh, um, teach me this or teach me that, for each one will be taught of God. Do you want to tell me that there's not one person that's not taught of God? Do you want to tell me that there's not one president in this country to whom God is not speaking all the time? The president is not waiting. God is not waiting for you to go and speak to the president. He's speaking to the president in his dreams, in his in feelings, emotions, whatever. If they choose to reject, that is up to them. But it is not, the, the burden cannot be put in front of the church and say, you better and if you don't, then God cannot. The forgiveness of sins, the deliverance from the weakness in the flesh, is, is between the Father, Jesus, and people, and the power of the resurrection. And that message is being spread by the Spirit of God through dreams, visions, feelings, emotions, whatever, into the hearts of all people. And we as the church, we are those who have responded to that message. And what we do is we give an amen to what they hear in their hearts as we find the Spirit bring forth fruit in us. We see here that Jesus Christ knows our weaknesses. He knows, uh, 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 he knows how to aid and how to help. I want to just quickly just read this again. Let us approach the throne of God with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Every high priest is selected from amongst people and appointed to um, 
to represent the people in matters relating to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. I said it two weeks ago, I'm saying it again. The, the, lamb that, the, the lamb is the one that God provides. The ram is the one that God provides. The, uh, the goat, the scapegoat is the one that God provides. Whenever you read in the Old Testament about sacrifices, it was not what you sacrificed. It was what God gave. That's how you should read it. When you read about the lamb, it is not what you bring. It is what God brings. So Jesus Christ came to the earth to bring to man the, that which, which God was willing to give so that we can have life. And with that in mind, I want to go to, uh, to Matthew 3. And we're going to look at, um, at the baptism of John. John chapter 3, oh, Matthew chapter 3. You remember that John was baptizing, and when he was baptizing, if you go and read in uh, John chapter 1, the account of the baptism of John. Uh, this happened at Bathabara. You all know this message very well. It was the place where all the water, uh, it was the place of the crossing, where the Israelites went into the promised land. They went across crossed the Jordan into uh, going to Jericho. At that very place, the Jordan was in flood at that time. And uh, they didn't know how they would cross the Jordan. And then when they went in with the Ark of the Covenant, uh, which we now know is the empty grave, <laughs> when they went in with that covenant into the river, what happened? The flow of the water stopped. And the water dammed up, the scripture says, if you can read that in Joshua 3.16, up to a small town called Adam. In other words, uh, it was like a, a wall that was put in the river and the water just dammed up and dammed up and pushed back and pushed back and pushed back unto a small town called Adam. When the message of the resurrection, that is what the Ark of the Covenant is. You remember I preached last week uh, to you. If you've missed last week's message, please watch the last part where I explained the painting. Uh, and I, I used the painting uh, to explain the end of death and the covenant that God has with us. You know that the Ark of the Covenant talks about what God's promise is towards man. It's eternal life. When eternal life entered into the flow of sin, the flow of sin dammed up to a small town called Adam. And Jesus Christ was baptized there. What was he baptized into? He was baptized into the sins of the whole world. It was where he was basically saying, I fully identify with all the weaknesses and all the sins of all the people. And I am there to carry it away from them. When we talk about the carrying of sin, we're talking about the carrying away. It makes me think of the person, uh, the, 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 the Good Samaritan, when the the guy was beaten up next to the road. Obviously, he was stripped and he was beaten and he was everything there. And then the Good Samaritan came and he carried him to the inn. He carried him to a place where he was cared for and pampered. And then he said to him, even, even uh, uh, keep him here and when I come back, if there's anything outstanding, I will pay for that. 
what that refers to is the care of God towards man and then when Jesus Christ returns the grace that is belongs to us to bring bodily immortality shall be given unto us so it just talks about that care that carrying carrying away carrying away out of that situation when Jesus come, came to carry the sin of the world, we read in Matthew 8 verse 17 that he went and he healed people that were demon possessed and he healed many sick people. And the Bible says, and this was to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah that says he carried our sickness and he bore our, bore our diseases. When Jesus carries a sickness, it means he carries it away. He brings you healing. When he carries sin, it means he takes it away and he, he brings true righteousness into manifestation. That is what he does it is not just a thing where we feel uh, we not God is not angry and we now legally standing clean before God no it's true it, to be truly clean uh, I've used an example before uh, but I'm just going to use this water now if there was a dishwashing liquid in this water and I look through it to the camera I mean I just see a blurred vision there but if this was dishwashing liquid and I look through it, I cannot say, well, you know, because of the l l dishwashing liquid, I can look at the camera and now the camera is clean or the TV screen on the other side there is clean as I look through this. No, uh, you, we don't look through soap at the dishes and say it is clean. No, the soap needs to be applied. When the soap is applied, then the dishes will be clean and washed by the soap. So in the very same way, when Jesus Christ comes to take away the sin of the world, he came, he baptized himself into the sin of all people. The flow of all sin stopped. It was accumulated at one place. Jesus, when he was baptized, he was baptized into that. And then on his mind, he was the one that carried all the sins of all the world in one man and then he went and he's and he healed people he said to them i want to tell you i have the power to carry your sin away and he would say son of man your sins are forgiven you and he would heal paralytics he would take he, he would he would he would heal it why because he came as the one that would carry sickness carry disease carry it away and then carry it to what place? To the place where it doesn't exist anymore. And carry us to a place of eternal life as a free gift. That is what he has come to do. I want to read uh, Leviticus 16. This talks about, and you'll remember if you go and read in Matthew 3. I didn't read it now. See, I'm running out of time. But when Jesus was baptized, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came on him and then he went into the desert and as he went into the desert he went into the desert to be tempted of the devil now we're going to read the type in the shadow in Leviticus 16 there some of you hear this for the first time but let me just share it it says when Aaron was finished making atonement for the most holy place the tent of the meeting of the altar he shall bring forth <coughs> Uh, uh, the live goat so there were two goats that were, were picked one was uh, 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 slaughtered and the other one was a live goat it says he shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites all their sins and put them on the goat's head so in other words all the sins was put where on the goat's head all their rebellion all their wickedness, all their sins was put on the goat, the goat's head. 
He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task, or the Bible says, uh, in the care of a faithful man. The goat will carry itself, uh, will carry on itself all the sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it into the wilderness. So Jesus, when he was baptized by John, what happened? He was baptized, and then the Bible says, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and straightway the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. Signifying what? Signifying that all the rebellion, all the sin, all everything that, they could, that man could ever have done wrong was now on this one man, Jesus Christ. And it was carried into the wilderness. And if you read the Hebrew, it says, for Azazel. Azazel was believed to have been an evil spirit that lived in the wilderness. And that is interpreted in the New Testament as to be tempted of the devil in the wilderness. And Jesus Christ went in all of our weakness, in all of our sins, and he was tempted of the devil. It is also believed that he was thrown off a high cliff, the, the, uh, the goat, and died there. And we find that Jesus was tempted of the devil, carrying all our weakness, carrying all our sins, and he did not sin. He knew how to conquer. He was carrying that difficulty. He then went to the cross, and in the cross he took the wages of sin, death itself, as people has put it upon it, as he, as he fully identified with all of our weakness. I want to read something to you quickly in Psalms. Psalm 69. <clears throat> Listen to what Jesus was going through. It says here, this is Jesus. I believe this, is, this, is, uh, this could be uh, in, in Gethsemane, the prayer that he prayed there. He says, save me, O God. For waters have come up to my neck. I sink into the miry depths. He says I'm entering death. Where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep of waters. The floods engulfed me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail. Looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. I'm forced to restore what I did not steal. That's where Jesus was. He was forced to restore what he did not steal. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. We know that Jesus didn't have folly. We know that he didn't have guilt. But see how he prays. He prays as us. He's entered us. He's entered our weakness. He's entered our despair. The fullness of our weakness is upon him. He says, Lord, listen to this prayer. Th this can just bring tears to your eyes. He knows that the salvation of humanity rests on him. He says, Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be dis disgraced because of me. He says, Father, may I please help me that I don't fail in what I am about to do here. I'm carrying the sins of all the world. But please help me that those who trust you, that you would save them, would not be in disgrace because of me. Because if I cannot do it, they cannot be saved. 
God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I'm a foreigner to my own family. Remember uh, uh, what Jesus' brothers and so said about him. I'm a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal of your house consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. It goes on into verse 20. It says here, Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. Uh, there was none for comforters, but I found none. This, ref this refers to Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he asked for the people, could you just pray with me for one hour? And he couldn't find any. There was nobody to support him. He went into the depths of the darkness of our despair. He didn't, it was not something that he theoretically experienced. He went into our separation from life. He was praying to the Father. He was saying, this is so much, it's so difficult to bear. But it would bring salvation to man. I have to, the other night I read this, <laughs> this in Isaiah. Uh, sorry, let me just quickly run to Isaiah 50 and um, Isaiah 51 I'm gonna I have to end off it feels as if I'm just starting the message but um, Isaiah 50 I hope I can find it now um, If I don't find it right now, oh, here it is, here it is. Isaiah 50. This is now Jesus also knowing and the Father knowing that there will be salvation to man. Jesus entering into utter despair. Uh, we, we read that in, um, in Hebrews. It says there, he, he cried out from the depths of despair unto him who could save him. That is what he cried. He cried out with that. I want to read it from the Afrikaans here. Uh, the Afrikaans says it powerfully. It says it here in Hebrews 5. It says, Hy het tydens sy aardse lewe smekinge en pleitbedes met, met harde krete en trane gebring voor God, wat in staat was om uit die dood te red. En hy is verhoor uit sy angst. I don't know how to translate that into English, I'm sorry. But he was heard in his fears and in his des desperate state, he was heard. He called on the Father who could save him from death. He entered into our sickness, he entered into our sins, he entered into our death. And listen to the Father, I'm just bringing the other side and then I'm, then I'm ending off. The Father praying, well, the Father speaking to the Son. It says here, Hear me, you who know what is right, now speaking to us. You people who have taken my instruction to heart, do not fear the reproach 
of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults for the moth will eat them up like a garment the worm will devour them like wool but my righteousness will last forever my salvation through all generations so what is happening here if you read Isaiah 50 it's talking about Jesus being in the grave Jesus being in a place of despair the father now while Jesus is in this grave in despair he's speaking to people He's saying to people, he's saying to us, why do we fear mere mortals? Why do we fear the governments? Why do we fear what's happening in the world? Why will we fear what they want to say about whatever the world wants to do? Their wars and their rumors of wars. All this evil is just temporal. It is not there forever. Don't fear mere mortals. And then he comes to the next part. And when I read this this week, I was crying for two days about This is the Father speaking to the Son. He says, Awake, awake, arm of the Lord. Clothe yourself with strength. This is the Father standing at the grave where Jesus Christ was buried. And at the grave where the grave was still closed, he's shouting to all of man. He says, Why would you be afraid of mortality? Why would you be afraid of mere mortals? And then he stands at the grave and he calls for his son. When the father went to call his son, he went to the grave. And as he was standing there, if you read Isaiah there, it is a speech to humanity. And he says, why are you afraid of what man shall do to you? Why are you afraid of these mortals? They are just like the grass. They are just like nothing. They are passing away. But I've come to remove sin. I've come to remove mortality. I've come to make you a partaker in the fullness of who I am. And then he shouts to the, he calls into the grave. Listen man, where did Jesus go when he wanted to raise Lazarus? He went to the grave and then he called Lazarus forth. Where did the father go when he raised the son? The son didn't raise himself. The father raised the son. He went to the grave and he says, Awake, awake, arm of the Lord. Jesus is called the arm of the Lord. God's working in the earth. He says, clothe yourself with strength. Jesus, you were clothed with weakness. You clothed yourself with the weakness of man. But now I come and I call you forth. Clothe yourself with strength. Listen to what he says. He says, awake as in the days gone by, as in the generations of old. Was it not you who cut down Egypt to pieces, who pierced the monster through? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters, and the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea, so the redeemed might cross over? Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter into Zion with singing, everlasting joy, a crown on their heads. Listen to what the Father does. This is the resurrection day. This is when the Father raised Jesus from the dead. This is the words by which he called him forth. He said, Arise, arise, O arm of the Lord. Wasn't it you who opened the Red Sea? Wasn't it you who led them out? 
Wasn't it you? Yes, it was you with all your strength. But now you've clothed yourself with all their weakness. But now you are raised from the dead so that none of these people can fear mortals anymore. Why will we be in despair because of mortals that go about that want to bring devastation to us? We shall not fear. Why? Because our sins are forgiven us. Our the, 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 our the separation between we are now made partakers of God in Jesus and we who believe we receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes over our lives and brings to our bodies what is called the condemnation of sin in the flesh that means the Spirit kills sin in the flesh. And we in our flesh start to experience the life of God. And so we are set free from fear and every sin that wants to entrap us and hold us. We are set free. Church, I want to tell you your sins are forgiven you. Jesus Christ died. He was raised from the dead. He seated at the right hand of God. He is the only immortal firstborn from the dead and he calls us brothers. Therefore we are co-heirs of this eternal life and we now live by the Spirit that shall manifest in our bodies what truly belongs to us for we are heirs of God. We've inherited God. Glory to God. I tell you, when I preach this, I feel there is nothing that I can be afraid of. I feel that I'm the blessed. You are the blessed with the body of Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you so much that I could serve you with this good news message. There's so many other scriptures that I would have wanted to read from the Psalms. You can read Psalm 40. You can read Psalm 42. Go and read uh, Psalm 51. Read 50. Read Isaiah 42. It, it, there's so many powerful passages. It just explains what I'm saying here. Uh, let us just pray together. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace. Thank you that we are not afraid. We are in abundance of joy because we are heirs of the Almighty God. Why will we be afraid of those that are mortal since you have come to the grave and you have said, Arise, arise, my son. Be clothed with strength as in the days when you opened the Red Sea. Father, we see the incarnation. We see the death. We see the place of death. We see where you went to call your son. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live in this thing that death to Jesus was just an illusion. It was something that you partook of. It's like Romans 14 says, the Christ died. The Christ died, but was raised to life so that we can live forevermore. Thank you for that, Father. I declare every person that's listened to this message blessed. I declare humanity blessed. I declare that you are Lord. I declare that your power is ours. I declare that your victory is ours and that we've got the blessed hope of eternal life. In Jesus' name.
Amen and amen. Thank you so much that you have slotted in. I would like to invite everybody that anybody that would like to be part of just a Zoom fellowship group afterwards to just stay uh, slotted in to this uh, Zoom meeting and you will be, um, we will just uh, put you in a group where you can fellowship or pray with some people and just talk to people about this good news should you feel you would like to do that. Thank you so much that I could serve you with this message today and then I will see you again next week. God bless.